Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. Welcome to week 26 of Is It Worth It? The film review podcast where we go out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. He's David Long. And he is Craig Fields. And kicking off this week, we have The Favourite starring Emma Stone, Rachel Wise and Olivia Coleman. Kira Knightley and Dominic West star in the drama Colette. Robert Zemeckis directs Steve Carell and Leslie Mann in Welcome to Marwin. Steve Coogan and John C. Riley star in the Lauren Hardy biopic, Stan and Ollie. Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Ralph Fiennes star in Holmes and Watson. We'll also have our usual features with the box office rundown, news and is it worth it cinema at home featuring reviews of Netflix phenomenon Bird Box. We'll also be taking a look at Life Itself, or I'll be looking at that one. Uh, this is directed by Dan Fogelman starring Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaacs. So... That's the uh, second time we've recorded that. And this is the second time we've recorded the whole episode. This is week 26 version 2.0.1.3. It's it's, Craig, tell our lovely listeners about the horrific week you've had. Really bad luck. It's been a a week of incredibly bad luck, David. Um, So it started off with a tyre that um, burst uh, (laughs) quite significantly um, and caused me to get two brand new front tyres. And that was a lot of... A lot of money because then I needed uh, uh, tracking and balancing doing on the car as well. Um, and also uh, a, a lump taken out of the alloy. So it was, you know, yeah. turning in a circular fashion. <laughs> Which is good for wheels. Yes, exactly. Uh, next up was the hard drive mm. failing. So it, I don't know what happened to it, to be honest with you. I, I was re- ep- uh, 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 editing week 26 on Sunday and uh, was going to have it out for Sunday. And then mm. I went off to the cinema with you mm. to to see a very good unlimited screening. And I got back to finish off the episode and the hard drive was clicking. It was just... And the information had gone, vanished like a fart in the wind, Literally which is a real shame considering we had, a, I think, week 26 was some of our best work. Some huge interviews, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, uh, Robert De Niro, Pacino, Hanks... DiCaprio, uh, Marlon Brando. It was a sensation. It was packed full it of was, stars. It was packed full of stars and gone, vanished. But alas, we go again. We do. Um, but these things come in threes, don't they? They so do. There is another... When things go wrong, they tend to go dramatically wrong. I'm on a diet, Craig. <laughs> You're um, going to go straight into that. You weren't even going to let me explain what my third incident what, was. Has there been a third one? Yeah. Literally about two hours ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that my, my, my MacBook Pro speakers have exploded and, yeah. and they no longer work. So there we go. Three items that have gone. It's, a, it's the week of explosions. Tires exploding, hard drives exploding, MacBook speakers exploding. Um, Are you going to explode next? I'm not. I'm on a diet. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I lost a little bit of weight before I went on my holiday at the end of last year. Put on quite a staggering amount of weight over Christmas because I was literally gorging myself, living on takeaways, dominoes as snacks um my domino's bill last year is is outrageous but what i realized is i'm quite enjoying the diet i'm enjoying my food more when i do eat what is it that you're you're now eating instead well i've basically cut out carbs i'm sort of doing low carbs high protein and just much fewer calories um still going to mcdonald's 
No, I'm not actually. Um, but the the crazy thing is, is when you count calories, you realise how many calories are in certain things. Like you look at a chocolate bar, and it's like thirty percent of your saturates for a day. I could eat nine of those in a very very small amount of time, and I realised that my daily calorie intake was probably four five thousand calories a day for about two months over Christmas. So. The fact that I'm still breathing is a positive. Um, <laughs> let's hope we can get through this episode. Uh, and I think we should kick it off in our usual way with our box office rundown. This is the box office rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the box office rundown for the weekend of January the 18th to the 20th, 2019. David, kick us off at number 10, please. So at number 10, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It took £0.5 million at the weekend, £9.2 million overall. It's been out for six weeks and I absolutely love this film. Went in with pretty low expectations, really didn't think it was going to be that good, uh, but I absolutely loved it, um, and it really is a quality film. We both came out and said that that was mm. brilliant, uh, and we've been proven right, and so have other people. It won uh, Best Animated Film at the Golden Globes. It's nominated to win Best uh, Animated Film at the Oscars, and I imagine it will win that. Other nominees include Incredibles 2 and Isle of Dogs, which we both really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I would thoroughly recommend it. Yep, me too, me too. Uh, In at number nine, we have Ralph Breaks the Internet. This has taken (laughs) £500,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £17.1 million overall, and it's been in the box office for eight weeks. Uh, And, uh, David, you haven't seen the original still, have you? Mm. But nonetheless, you really loved it as a standalone film. I liked it as a sequel. I still think the first one is better in many ways, um, but it's still a really wonderful animated film. Yes, uh, above that at number eight, we have Bohemian Rhapsody. That took £600,000 at the weekend. It's grossed a huge £51.5 million in all. It's been out for 13 weeks. Uh, obviously, this picked up best uh, drama picture at the Golden Globes. Which it's been, is bizarre. Which is bizarre, and we uh, we will be talking about that in much more depth over oh, yeah. coming shows and also in the news today. It's also nominated for best picture at the Oscars. Um, and this is a film that received a lot of love, actually, on a competition I ran online. Uh, Robert Miller said um, Bohemian Rhapsody was amazing. Uh, the way it was acted was truly special, and it was his favourite film of the year. Uh, Laura, as well, uh, who also won our competition, um, said that she loved Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody. She said it was moving to see what Freddie Mercury went through in his life and to, and to see Queen's rise to fame. Rami Malek has done a great job at playing Freddie Mercury, uh, and I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that as well. I mean, but it, I the things that we didn't like about mm. the film was that how much they didn't put in the film and mm. how much they took liberties on Freddie Mercury's past. And and for us, in the knowledge of knowing that. Mm made the film slightly worse for yeah. it but for those who didn't know it and will just take it with a pinch of salt mm. um, it was very interesting for those sort of people I absolutely think. no doubt a real crowd pleaser and a really enjoyable film to watch but as a biopic it has a lot of historical inaccuracies I think it neglected some really important um, events and aspects of Freddie Mercury's life yep. which is why I'm surprised it won best drama at the Golden Globes it wasn't even nominated in the best musical or comedy category it won best drama beating the likes of A Star Is Born 
uh, and other films. Um, but we will talk about that in more detail. But Craig, what do we have above that at number seven? In at number seven, we have Bumblebee. This took £600,000 at the weekend. It's taken £11.6 million overall and it's been in the box office for four weeks. And this is the first uh, Transformers spin-off that doesn't involve Michael Bay. And mm. what a success it is. Yep. It's uh, a very, very good uh, follow-up or, or prequel, I suppose, to, to, the, to the Transformers films. Uh, there's been a, a lot of people saying that they really love the film. Uh, you loved it, I mm. loved it, and uh, it's it's doing relatively well still. So really pleased to see it in the, in the top ten. Yeah, totally agree. Um, wasn't expecting to like it and uh, loved it. That comes in at number eight. At number seven above that, we have Aquaman. That's taken 700... Is that number six? Aquaman. Ten, nine, eight, seven... <laughs> Usually that's me who gets that wrong. Are we keeping that in? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you have to beep out the... Uh... At number six, we have Aquaman. It took £700,000 at the weekend, £21.4 million in all. It's been out for six weeks. Um, mad film, mollusks playing drum sets, uh, fish men riding large sharks. A real bizarre selection of aquatic life. You've got, like, great white sharks next to killer whales and then dolphins in the middle. Complete craziness. It is. Somehow works, but at the same time, it's too long. You could cut 25, 30 minutes out of this film easily and it would still be as effective. It's... Um, Sorry, I'm interrupting you a no. little bit there, but it's spectacular on the big screen. Um, I was literally just oh, okay. about to say Sorry, that. take the words right um, out of your mouth. It, yeah, yeah, it is it's spectacular on the big screen, but it's it's just poor in story. Mm, substance, yeah. no yeah. substance. Yeah, very poor story, but it's actually one of the first films that I think if you're going to see it, see it in the biggest screen possible, get those 3G, 3G, 3D goggles on and go <laughs> and have some fun. <laughs> in at number five, we have Nguyen, The Favourite. Uh, so this has taken £1.3 million at the weekend. It's grossed £11 million overall. It's been in the box office for three weeks. And we're going to be reviewing that on this week's show. Indeed we are. So above that at number four, we have Mary Poppins Returns. It's taken £1.7 million at the weekend. And look at that, Craig. Wow, £40.3 million overall it's grossed in only five weeks. Comes in straight at number four. This has done very well. I think four Oscar nominations. Um, was disappointed, actually, to see Emily Blunt snubbed at the Oscars. Yes. For both Mary Poppins Returns and A Quiet Place, both of those performances actually were uh, award-worthy. And she has been nominated at various other awards. Um, but was disappointed to see her not get a nod there. And also Claire Foy just... Chuck that out now. Just throw that in there now, yeah. Yeah, for Best Supporting <laughs> Actress in First Man. She was sensational, and I'm shocked. Mm. She has been nominated for the BAFTA, though. Good. Um, but yeah, Mary Poppins, what did I think of it? Was terrified, was worried it was going to be unnecessary, and just a real letdown. But actually, I really, really enjoyed it. I've only seen it the once, and a few of those songs are still stuck in my head. Emily Blunt, superb. Um, a film for all the family. Definitely one to go and What's see. What's the one about the lights? Triple Little Light, fantastic. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, that's quite. That's very Dick Van Dyke, you know. Triple little like fantastic. Both of us now are doing dances and our, our elbows are out. Yeah, uh, um, um, we do have a correspondence for that uh, for that film. Uh, it's from Penny, and she says she has been taken back to her childhood tonight watching Mary Poppins Returns. Love the music, the children, and Emily Blunt as the magical nanny Mary Poppins. It truly is a feel-good story that brought a, a tear to my eye. Uh, it's, it's made me want to buy the CD uh, and get my tap shoes out and dance on the streets. Uh, so thank you very much. Dance on the streets. That is... That, Penny. <laughs> well, 
good luck to you, Penny. I wish you well in that venture. Uh, <laughs> Penny, Penny, we're going to give you some tickets so you can go and see something else as well. Oh, superb. Congratulations, Penny. Two free tickets, which are valid in any Cineworld world for six <laughs> months, including IMAX. And at number two, number three. Good Lord, I can't count. What's wrong um, with you? It's usually me who can't do yeah, this. Yeah, I know. At number three, we have Stan and Ollie. It's taken 1.8 million at the weekend, 6.1 million overall. It's been in the box office for two weeks. We're reviewing it on today's show, so I will say no more. And in at number two, we have Mary Queen of Scots straight in there. Uh, it's taken £2.1 million at the weekend, and it's grossed that as well because it's only just been out at the weekend. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, something I'm not going to talk about because it's going to be on week 27, so it's not even on this week's show. It is going to be in week 27, and I'm very much looking forward to reviewing it. And at the top of the pile, I'm, I am surprised. Uh, we have M. Night Shalamalan. I mean, let's let's just say this on air now. How do you say his name? Because nobody can say it right. But well, you don't. You just don't say the end bit. It's just M. Night Shyamalan M- or M. Night Shalamalan or M. Night. M. Night. M. Night. Direct's Glass, mm. which is the third in his trilogy. We had Unbreakable and uh, Split, which I've recently rewatched both of them. I haven't actually seen Glass yet. Craig has. But that's been out for one week. Uh, and it's taken 3.3 million at the weekend. And it's that's its total gross. Uh, I can't comment on this film because I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to it, but I feel that it may be a somewhat underwhelming experience. I'm not saying anything about it. But I am going to say how I'm going to pronounce his name from now on. It's going to be M-Night. 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 M-Night Shymalen. <laughs> oh, dear. So, go on, David. Take it away with the uh, usual fashion of the box office rundown. So, the full box office rundown. At number 10, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Nine is Ralph Breaks the Internet. Eight, Bohemian Rhapsody. Seven, Bumblebee. Six, Aquaman. Five, The Favourite. Four, Mary Poppins. Three, Stan and Ollie. Two, Mary Queen of Scots. And at the top of the pile, we have Glass. My word, that was really difficult like this week. I mean, get me back in GCSE maths. I can't even count from ten to one. There's your box office rundown. It's now time for our first review of Week 26, and it's the favourite. And it's the 18th century, and Queen Anne, played by Olivia Coleman, sits upon the throne. Her closest ally and dear friend is Lady Sarah, who's played by Rachel Wise. She tends to all the Queen's needs, including her ill health and foul temper, whilst also governing the country. But when Abigail, played by Emma Stone, arrives in need of a helping hand from her dear cousin Lady Sarah, Abigail sees an opportunity to return to her aristocratic roots. Let's take a listen to a clip. Other people really angry about the land tax? They'll be angry when the French are sodomising their wives and planting their fields with garlic. The Tories must not be rode roughshod over, though. And more dead if we do it. It is painful to lose men, but... We cannot be half-hearted in this, or they will see our weakness and take us, and we will lose thousands more. None for the Queen. What? Well, you cannot have hot chocolate. Your stomach. The sugar inflames it. Abigail, hand me that cup. Do not. I'm sorry. I do not know what to do. Oh, fine. Give it to her. Then you can get a bucket and a mop for the aftermath. me back so i think that is a a really good clip that really shows some of the humor within this film this film is dark 
and bizarre. It is really, 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 really bizarre. I don't know what happened <laughs> to my tongue there. Um, in the sense that it's bizarre in the way it's acted, bizarre in the way that it's shot, um, and and just bizarre in 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 the way it's taking a historical drama mm. and bring it in the, into this this almost modern twist almost but retaining its historical roots in terms of the way it's spoken and i think that clip really does give you that humanization of of characters um yeah i mean yorgos lanthimos does a great job here and it's nice to see the way he goes from from the lobster uh all the way up to the favorite now there is a film in between there that i haven't seen yet and that's the killing of the sacred deer so if you have seen that let us know what you thought of that um and i'll be able to comment on that maybe next week once i've caught up with with that film um but yeah i really bizarre yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. Bizarre sums it up. And if you want to know just how bizarre it is, stay until the end and watch the end credits. And look at some of the people that are credit, credited in this film. They include Paul Swine, the f***ing man. You can't say that. You can't say the f***ing man. What f***ing man? You can't say that. Okay, I apologise. But he is credited. Uh, we also have the nude pomegranate Tory, Callum Lewis, and... Horatio, the fastest duck in the city. Yes, <laughs> what? Yes, this film includes duck racing. It's got sex. It's got violence. It's got um, just craziness, complete and utter craziness. But like you said, it has a very modern theme, but it's set in in obviously in this era. And a lot of people will have seen the trailer and think, you know, we're going along to see a traditional historical film. Yes. If you are in that category, this is this is a historical film, but it's a bizarre one. For example, the C words thrown out. Like I said, there's naked men having pomegranates thrown at them, racing ducks, all very, very strange. Um, but it somehow works. That does work because I think a lot of people don't want to see historical films because they consider them boring. That oh, it's going to be a Downton Abbey, it's, which is very good, by the way. But nonetheless, <laughs> you know, people think oh, I don't want to watch a, a historical film. It'll be mm. boring. It'll be slow. It wasn't. Um, you know, we've got three phenomenal, powerful female uh, leads here. Uh, Olivia Coleman for me is the standout performer. And the strange thing is actually that Kate Winslet was originally cast to interesting to to play this role, and she dropped out. And I'm sure she's absolutely devastated because Olivia Coleman has been nominated for pretty much every award going. Uh, I think she's a certainty to win Best Actress at the BAFTAs and she's got a chance uh, at the Oscars as well where she's been uh, nominated. I mean, she gained two and a half stone uh, to play this role, which... I think she thoroughly enjoyed doing. Probably, and it's very noticeable because I've, I've watched interviews with her subsequently and she does look much younger, thinner and healthier because the character she's playing, the Queen, is, you know, plagued with ill health from boils to gout um she gorges herself she gorges herself and she doesn't care about the consequences having the hot chocolate will cause her bowel to go through much drama but she (laughs) um she has it nonetheless Uh, and you know historically as well sarah churchill who's played by rachel wise is actually uh the duchess of marlborough is the direct ancestor of both sir winston churchill and princess diana Uh, and in the film they um play homage to that actually by talking about a a property which she inherits which does actually historically then stay in the Churchill family. Mm. And I believe Sir Winston, the great man, spent many of his later years there. Um, You know I love my Rotten Tomatoes statistics. Uh, 94% of critics like this and 62% of the audience. And I think that perfectly sums the film up. Critics love it. Um, It's very, very bizarre. Great use of the wide-angle lens. Um, 
and also the fish lens. And I think you wanted yeah, to touch the, upon the, that. The, the fisheye lens is just brilliant in in the sense that it distorts the image. So on the outside of the image is very distorted. It gives you this feeling of being a fly on the wall, but it also draws your attention to the middle of the frame. Yeah. Um, and I really loved the cinematography and the way that that's done on there. And and. I think it's a great choice of, of lenses, especially in a historical drama. You yeah. don't get that in, in anything like this. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that really just adds to the quirkiness yeah, of the, the film. The fisheye, like you said, it, it distorts the image, which makes it weird. And you feel like a fly on the wall. And what he's done is put one of these small fisheye lenses right in the corner of the scene. And you might just have the queen walking past, but you really feel like you're almost spying on her, that you, you're you an outsider looking in. And that's really effective. And also the wide-angle lens. Um the Queen's character is fundamentally a very lonely person and, and the film explores that. And he has, he has a lot of shots at distance. So you'll see the Queen, you know, in bed or getting into bed and he'll shoot it from the other side of the room with a really wide angle lens just to show you how isolated she is. The last thing I want to say is the film's also divided into eight chapters. Just like our good friend Wes Anderson, who often in many of his films like Isle of Dogs and Grand Budapest Hotel breaks it down into sections. Um, and some people don't like that, but for this film it works. It gives the film a strange, odd and uneven pace, but that's exactly what the director wants. It it, it really does work. When we last recorded the show, I think I gave it a much worse review than this because I've really reconsidered it. And actually, whilst I still think the ending is bizarre... Underwhelming. And incredibly underwhelming, and I do need to revisit the film because maybe that went over my head because it's very abrupt um i do think it's a superb film um i think olivia coleman has done better uh for example in tyrannosaur directed by paddy constantine um she's sensational in that the film tyrannosaur if you haven't seen that do check it out but i i feel that this is her time um and i'm almost certain she'll win the bafta for best actress um rachel wise and um emma stone have also been nominated both for best supporting actress at the oscars i think same film two nominations um yeah, it's a scandalous film. Shouldn't work, but it does. Mm. And uh, Olivia Coleman's going to be playing Queen Elizabeth II in, in The Crown on the Netflix TV series. Oh, uh, you know, So this is a good uh, uh, example of what it's going to be like for her stepping into a, a, a royal uh, a role, I suppose. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I think we are going to talk about the royals later, actually, when we talk about Bird Box. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that. Um, anything more, Mr. Fields? No. Uh, so, David. Oh, the favourite. Is it worth it? Yes. Uh, I really do think this film is worth seeing just because it's so strange and so odd, but yet so effective. You've got a, a period piece that feels, in fact, more relevant than, than ever. Um, it, it tackles a lot of issues. Um, you know, the comedy's effective, the, the drama's effective, um, but do yield a, a, a word of warning. There's a lot of swearing, there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of violence. It's not your typical period piece. You know, people of, of older age that were going to see a period drama will probably come out very shocked. But if you know that and you want to go and check it out, I would thoroughly recommend it. Yep, I, I recommend it as well. I mean, a film that's nominated for one Oscar with the Best Performance Actress, uh, numerous winners in, in the Golden Globes, um, numerous BAFTAs uh, it's nominated for. It's going to be a good film and it's worth seeing in the cinema, If you, especially if you like seeing films that are in and around award, se award season uh, and you like to see those films that are nominated and, and are winning. Um, so definitely worth seeing in the cinema.
So it's now time for our second review of week 26, and it's Colette. Uh, and this is directed by Wash Westmoreland, uh, probably best known for his 2014 movie uh, Still Alice, which was starring Julianne Moore. Now, Colette is the story of Gabrielle Colette, a country girl who is wooed by a Parisian writer affectionately nicknamed Willie. Willie has built a brand under this name, uh, churning out written works, published articles under the name Willie. He's also a bit of a gambler, spends money on restaurants, uh, and he's quite the ladies' man. Colette finds herself transported from her country life to city life and begins to realise that Willie isn't the man she thought he was. Others pen his work, ghostwriters all over the shop, but the money is drying up and Willie suggests to Colette that she writes the novels about her adolescence to bring in some more money. The novel is entitled Claudine and it's a massive success. And as the years pass, the tensions between the married couple about ownership of Claudine's body of works come under threat. Let's take a listen to a clip. Madame Willie. An honour. Pleasure to meet you. Listen, Claudine at school is heading for her third printing. Excellent. I believe Willie based Claudine in part on your school days. Yes, I think I had a little something to contribute. Well, I'm very glad your experiences have borne such wonderful fruit. Very nice to meet you, madame. Garde Lyon, please. Where are we going? We'll find out. Something wrong? Well, what, what do you think is wrong? What? Finally, we have a success, and then you implied that I'm not the true author of it. No, I didn't. We're holding dynamite here. We've created something really powerful, and if it goes off at the wrong time, it could blow our bloody heads off. Ollendorf is your publisher, Willie. Yeah, well, Schwab also said something. Schwab is part of the factory. People love to talk. They praise it to your face, and then the moment you turn around, there's knives in your back. I understand the mentality here. You don't. Well, I understand it well enough to write a book that's a toast of Paris. So I think that's a really good clip there as we see Willie and Colette go head to head for one of the first times as the tensions are rising. Like Craig said, the money's drying up. He needs to get new, fresh literature out. And he's actually using Colette's works. Um, now, that's that's huge. You know, to put that in perspective historically, you know, women weren't right. Well, women were writing. They weren't being published. Um, you know, it was a macho driven world. Uh, women didn't have equal rights. Women wouldn't have had the vote. Um, so they weren't able to get their literature out. So Willie exploits Colette really and um, gets this fantastic literature out. And, and her character is is huge for for literature, for female literature. And it's a story that I, th- I think definitely needs to be told. And it's told very, very well. I'm really delighted, actually, we re- reviewed this straight after The Favourite because there's similarities. Again, this is a period piece. Yeah that's very, very relevant um, for a a number of reasons, uh, particularly with the idea of equality between men and women in a number of industries, not just um, literature. Um, But it's got a very modern feel with the diverse and rebellious nature of Colette. Um, She wears male clothing in in the film as well, which I think I read somewhere was actually illegal for women to do in Paris at the time. Um, You know, it has scandal again, uh, sex, booze, dancing. We just, off air, Craig was doing his impression of Dominic West, who gets up on the table and dances. That's one of my favourite scenes. Yeah, we've got um, Kira Knightley doing exotic uh, 
um, Egyptian, Egyptian kind of dancing. Yeah, yeah. So it's visually very, very impressive. And it's everything you would expect. If I said to you, this is a film about a female author uh, and her literature is being published in a male name uh, by the name of Willie. And also, I just want to say I've known Craig for many, many years and it was no coincidence, very childish of you to put the word Willie so many times into your synopsis. So, naughty boy. Sorry. Uh, anyway, but like I said, if I said to you, yeah, it's about a female female author, people would think, oh, that sounds quite boring, quite slow, but it isn't, you know. Um, we're barely five, ten minutes in and our two protagonists are making love to each other in a, in a horse barn. Um, and like you said, I mean, Willie loves a drink, he loves a gamble, he loves the ladies, and it's all very scandalous, and it's all hidden and disguised under these wonderful books, and it's it's a, it's a pretty good film. Um, I've spoken quite passionately about it there. Um, one regret for me is I saw the trailer for this before seeing the film. The trailer was far too long, and it also gave so much of the film away. If I hadn't have seen the trailer, I'd have loved it a lot more, because a lot of the best bits were in the trailer, um, for me, Kira Knightley steals the show, uh, and rightly so. That's the idea. Um, and, and fair play to Dominic West, actually. He gives a good performance, but he lets Kira Knightley dominate, and that's the idea. She is she is our, our main character, and she deserves a lot of credit for, for a great performance. I don't think it's a, a masterpiece, but it's by no means... Uh, a disaster either. It's a very, very solid film that I would have enjoyed more if I hadn't have seen the trailer. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. The trailer gave away uh, far too much in terms of the big scenes, uh, the fun, uh, really um, visually stunning scenes. Um, but that's not to say that the story was revealed too much in the film or in the trailer um the the film for me i i really really enjoyed it um it was it was very it's very different to the favorite in terms of um it's more traditional in some ways yes traditional historic piece but at the same time it's relevant it's pushing boundaries it's showing what this female colette did uh to push her push you know, the rights for females to be able to publish novels under her own name. Um, and she went on, as it says at the end of the film, in the sort of the credits, that, you know, what what she did to revolutionise uh, revolutionize, uh, the things for, for women to do and, and put in pen to paper, et, et cetera. Um, and, and Willie was uh, a terrible man, really, and they really mm. made him... They normalised him to be, to some degree because that's obviously the way Colette felt. Um, but there were scenes where, you know, she's being locked in, in the bedroom, forced to write these novels. And actually, you know, if he didn't do that, would we have these these pieces of work? Probably not. She would have rebelled against it in, mm. in some form. But actually, she got a kick out of writing those books. And she, you know, she really did enjoy what she did. And... And I think to bring this to to the cinema, it's been a real passion project for the director. Mm. Um, I think it's been ten years in the making. It's been you know a really long time, and and I think it's Kira Knightley's best picture for, since The Duchess, which is about ten years old now. Or Atonement. Or or well, Atonement was uh, is about eleven, twelve, 12 years, years old. old. Um, but yeah, so, so since The Duchess, mm. there hasn't really been anything that's she's really managed to get dig her teeth into. Um, there was that film. Um, Never Let Me Go, which was the adapted uh, from a book by Kazu Ishiguro of the same name, which she was a bit of a side character, really, in, in that film. Um, and again, then moving on from that, there was Begin Again, which I really liked. But again, she was a she was the leading actress in that, I suppose. But again, something she didn't really get to sink her teeth into. She was singing in that. Have you seen it? Begin Again? I have not. Um, I re- Actually, I really recommend you watch it. Um 
really good music in there um and and, and a really fun piece but um that one was shot in new york she's in new york yeah. uh james corden's in it as well um oh, no. yeah mark ruffalo <laughs> adam levine yeah. um from maroon five um takes on a, a, a leading actor role in that as well good film um but back to colette yeah, so since then, nothing really, much, nothing else really that took her fancy that she really could stick her teeth into. But this one, she got to go all over the place, uh, location-wise. They shot a lot of this in Budapest yeah. and various other places. So, um, I've, yeah. I've, I've got a, an interesting fact about that. So, that, that, like you said, they okay. obviously shot um, a lot of the countryside scenes were actually shot in the UK. Mm. French and English countryside in the summer is, is quite similar. But when they were on location in Budapest, it was so hot that Dominic West wore a water vest and um, that basically circulated cold water around his upper body underneath his costume and the strange thing craig is this piece of equipment was actually recommended to him to recommended to him sorry <laughs> by none other than john c Riley, who used it whilst playing oliver hardy in the biopic stan and ollie which we're reviewing later in the show um uh, dominic west character is quite big and bulky and and he's obviously got this this vest on underneath his costume to to cool him down because they were you know recording in like 40 odd degree heat but i just thought that was a nice little interesting fact that sort of links into uh stan and ollie where john c Riley is transformed yeah. into a huge being uh he puts on a serious amount of timber he looks like me two months ago um before i started this lean mean protein diet um but yeah uh, loved what you had to say there as well and yeah i just want to say kira knightley is is brilliant um i think she's one of those actresses that gets a lot of credit, but maybe not enough mm. because she's so consistently good. She's one of those people I don't really think she's ever bad. And, and and the problem is when actors and actresses are consistently good, they often go under the radar. It's not like Nicolas Cage, for example, that can be woeful, 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 put in one good performance and suddenly everyone's like, wow, did you see Nicolas Cage in that? So that is a slight disadvantage for her, but big fan of... Um, she picks good films to be in. Yes. So she lo she looks at the scripts and she thinks that's a good film. The Imitation Game, mm. for instance, Atonement, Pride and Prejudice. She really likes to get into those those dramas, something that mm. has a point to tell um, and something that empowers women as well in, mm. in, in some regards. And, and just on that note, I was reading earlier today that she often picks female leads or female roles in historical uh, period dramas because actually women in the, in these pieces tend to be of real importance if you if you look at most period pieces most historical pieces actually if you take away the women you 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 don't have a lot you know in things like downton abbey in in the favorite um you know women are often the glue in in period pieces because often there's a love story so she mm. loves doing that and you can see that here and obviously with atonement as well which if you haven't seen um, I would recommend, I, I recently watched it, it's actually on Netflix at the moment, um, based on the Ian McEwan novel, it's a brilliant film. We are diverging slightly, but it's good, it's good to talk um, about Keira Knightley. <laughs> <laughs> and, and her dancing as well, very talented. Do you want to ask me the question? I will ask you the question. Was that the wave? Was that what? Yeah. Uh, Craig, Colette, is it worth it? Yes, this is definitely worth seeing in the cinema. There's a lot of period dramas coming out in the cinema with, with Mary Queen of Scots, the favourite, and obviously Colette as well. And I... I strongly believe that this is one of them that you should definitely watch and I think it's great to compare these different films to each other as well um, they're all relevant to all of us and uh, it's award season so it's it's nice to see these sort of films um, why are you wearing your headphones like that? <laughs> I just took my headphones off and sort of put them on the top of my head like I just, an alien my ears are quite warm oh okay warm ear syndrome well yes I, I think it's worth it David 
what do you think of collect? What do you think it's worth it? Uh, yes. Uh, as simple as that. <laughs> and I've, I've already spoken enough, but yeah, I, I do. I do think it's worth it. It's slightly more traditional, and like I said, this is a story that has to be told. This changed literature for women globally instantly when this fabulous author finally got the credit for the wonderful work that she was producing. Excellent, and that's our review of Colette. Two thousand and nineteen has begun, and gym membership is booming. But why not put your money towards something you will actually use? For just seventeen pound ninety a month, you can get unlimited cinema anytime, any day. And the new year is the perfect time to become unlimited with films like Toy Story Four, Dumbo, The Lion King, Avengers: Endgame, Glass, Captain Marvel, and X Men: Dark Phoenix. Two thousand and nineteen is set to be a year of unmissable cinema. And you can get ten pounds off your first month Cineworld Unlimited subscription using the code Is It Worth It? And that's all one word. As well as this, you can also get ten percent off snacks and drinks, preview screenings of upcoming releases, and unlimited customers can now enjoy twenty-five percent off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca, and Belgo. Is It Worth It? Encourages an unlimited membership as part of a healthy and balanced lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. So it's now time for our third review, which is welcome to Cineworld. No, David. No, it isn't. It's welcome to Marwin. Now, welcome to Marwin focuses on the true story of Mark Hogankamp, played by Steve Carell, who is the victim of a brutal attack that changes his life forever. The attack completely wipes his memory and he must, in essence, totally start his life again. His injuries mean that he can no longer paint or write and instead turns to photography as a form of therapy to try and help rebuild his life. Now, he photographs a strange creation called Marwin, a small made-up place in Belgium made out of models and dolls. This creation is his form of therapy, and the characters within Marwin are based on people within his current life. He himself in Marwin is the sole protector and hero. Mark uses Marwin as a way of expressing his feelings, and the film focuses on the awful effects of assault, but also the joys that can be found in recovery. Before we head into our review, let's take a little listen to a clip as usual. You have the most beautiful eyes. And the most amazing heels I've ever seen. They're called stilettos, but they won't be invented until 1954. It's weird, huh? A lot of weird stuff happens here in Marwin. A lot of stuff that makes no sense. Like how you got here. I just moved in across the street. What's your name? Nicole. Without the E on the end. She says. To be continued. So those of you who haven't seen the film yet, you want our opinion on the film, won't really understand where that clip sort of fits in. So to give you a little bit of an insight, this part unfolds uh, in Marwin, uh, which is an animated village uh, in Belgium. Mm. Um, so Steve Carell's character um, is is sort of transformed into a doll uh, and it's this, this weird, wonderful, strange animated sequences that unfold in his mind almost. Um, and 
these, in my opinion, are my favourite part of the film. And to be honest with you, I would gladly just watch an entire animated film based on Marwin um, and, and the characters within Marwin. However, this is not what the film's about. The film is about Steve Carell's character, um, who has gone through a complete um, transformation in terms of being brutally attacked, as David said in the synopsis, and has to go through this this strange therapeutic uh, outlet of, of photographing a village to allow him to tell his story almost. Mm. Robert Zemeckis doesn't, for me do this in the right way and it's strange to say that i feel like the real world doesn't really work in conjunction with this brilliant animated universe that he's created mm. and why do i think that well there's antagonists uh in the real world um so um leslie Mann's character she has uh, a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend that reappears and you instantly know that he's going to become some kind of form of antagonist However, he doesn't really antagonize and he does in the animated universe mm. in some way. He becomes like an SS Nazi or some, what, what do they call it, David? Um, I, think, I think he's a Nazi. Is it, yeah, some, he's definitely some, a, some, some sort, sort of, of Nazi. Nazi. He's not a nice person. He's definitely not a nice person. But however, he pops up in the real world, causes a very slight um, antagonistic moment and mm. then disappears. And, and you kind of want more in the real world of that. Um, and, and, I, and I just didn't really feel that. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think it, it's quite incredible. You've got um, Steve Carell's character, this man who's been assaulted, lost his memory, and then recreates or rebuilds his life using dolls, photographs the dolls, but then we, the audience, are given what he sees in this brilliant livestock animation that, like you said, is by far the best um, piece, of, piece of the film. You know, the source material of this film is Jeff Malmberg's 2010 documentary called Marwin Cole. And, you know, Steve Carell offers his best in this film. He, he does, and I think he's committed to the role, but he falls short, in my opinion, when it comes to really warming to us as the viewer. So mm. um, he has, and, and in, in some ways, uh, Robert Zemeckis was involved in this film. I think he directed or produced it. He has a Forrest Gump kind of feel to him. Um, so he you want to like to him and you want to warm to him, but you don't warm to him the same way as you, you warm to Forrest Gump, for example. And... Carell is is given the opportunity to flex his comedy muscles in the stock animation in Marwin with the uh, the animated versions of the dolls which he's photographing, and that works really well. It's definitely by by far and away the best bit of the film. And like you said, I would love um, to see a whole film with that style. But then you jump from that back to the the real live um, reality that he's living in, and it just doesn't have that emotional punch. Um, I mean, what I've put here is that it's a it's a film that's impossible to dislike or criticise. For me, one, um, due to the nature of the source material, this tragic story with, you know, quite a beautiful and uh, uplifting ending, and also its ambitious approach. Um, the director has to take a huge amount of credit here for attempting to to put this onto the big screen. Um, it, it's it's a very ambitious project and it's an, a, a project that deserves a lot of credit but I think it's a project that ultimately doesn't quite work mm. Robert Zemeckis does some fantastic films um, and he is always at the forefront of pushing uh, technology in terms of, of um, motion capture, animation mm. uh, etc 
And, uh, you know, some of the films that he's done, uh, Back to the Future, is ultimately ultimately one of my favourite films of all times. Mm. Um, well, the, trilogy, the whole trilogy. The whole trilogy is, superb. yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. Um, the, probably the third one's probably my favourite when mm. they go to the Western. But, yeah. um, but you know, uh, Polar Express, that, re- that pushed, mm. the ba- pushed the boundaries on motion capture animation. He was one of the first people to do that. Beowulf as well. Um, and and a, and a few other films, and and I quite liked some of the nods to his films. Yeah. Um, in Welcome to Marwin, so there was obviously nods to Back to the Future. There was nods to to Allied as well, which was um, the Brad Pitt film. Um, there was nods to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, although I'm not sure that's one of his films, but it's certainly a Spielberg film. Mm. Um, there's the poster on the wall that that's a bit of a nod there. And so there's lots of different nods to mm. to, to to films from the past. Um, and and I, I enjoyed picking those bits out. Yeah, and I th- like I said, Zemeckis deserves credit for for for, for doing this, and it, and he put a lot into it. You know, this had a, a box office budget of forty million dollars, but it debuted uh, with only two point four million in its opening weekend. Um, which, is, believe it or not, this 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 film is one of the biggest box office failures of two thousand eighteen. Which is saying something because. It's not that bad to no, it's fail not. that spectacularly, but it just didn't capture the audience's imagination, I think. It, uh, and, and, that's, and that's a shame because there is a great deal of imagination mm. in this film. It just didn't... I don't think people were infused about it, I think mm. is the right word to use. And I feel like people were a bit baffled in terms of the reality section of yeah. and and I, I and in, in in my opinion I really felt that the women of my, of of um, the re- real world really didn't connect with uh, no. with with Steve Carell's character in in the right way it was almost too forgiving too understanding mm. and 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 allowed him to get away with too much in, in a strange way um yeah you know the the, the good old Rotten Tomato scores. Critics thirty percent like it. The audience fifty seven percent, which actually surprises me because I thought the critics would have received this better than the audience. Because mm. critically, you know, Zemeckis has has produced something quite unique and 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 in fact not half bad. It doesn't have this. You it you feel very detached. The whole thing is yeah. very strange, and you come out of the cinema thinking. You know that's a lovely story, and you know it, it's up, and and you want to be unlift, uplifted. You want to love it, but you can't. Um, but nonetheless, I think Zemeckis deserves great, great credit for for attempting to bring this uh, incredible true story to the big screen. Do you think its downfalls lie in Steve Carell's performance, or or in the way the film was executed in some ways? Steve Carell is a talented actor. He's you know a beautiful boy, Vice. The Big Short. Um, well, I was going to say, Beautiful Boy, you haven't seen that no. yet, have you? And obviously that's going to be on next week's show. And um, I, can't, I can't talk about it now. Yeah, but... but what I'm saying is that he's not just a comedy actor. You know, he has flexed his muscles in other ways. You know, for example, I think he's sensational in The Big Short. Um, and, and, you know, another, and, you know, obviously Beautiful Boy is a more serious role. The comedy element of the film, when he's in the stock animation, he's brilliant. The real life... Um, portrayal of his character is is quite wooden but then again he is playing a man with no memory true i don't think steve carell is to blame here i think steve carell does his best i just think somehow we don't have an emotional connection to him now i i don't know personally i don't think that's his fault i think it's the way it's been pieced together yes 
Okay, I yeah, I yeah, I, I I can go with that. I can agree with that. Um, so then, welcome to Marwin, David. Is it worth it? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, I I don't think this is worth seeing in the cinema simply because it's 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 not a piece that needs to be seen in the cinema. It would actually be quite effective on 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 any size screen. Uh, bizarrely mm. enough, it's one of those films you could almost watch in in bed on your phone. Actually. Um, I think it's an interesting film, and if you're a Cineworld Unlimited card holder, most certainly check it out. If you see it on streaming services, you know, in you know, three or four months' time, then it, maybe it's worth a look. It's an ambitious project, but it's not one that's worth seeing in the cinema for me. Yes, um, I would say that un- unless you are an unlimited customer, as you just said, um, it's it's worth going to see because you can just see it whenever you want to. Um, but you know putting money quite a large amount of money to see this a film one-off just isn't worth it at all um so yeah save your money go and see something else like the favorite or collect that we've suggested so far indeed so that is our review of welcome to marlin That's right, it's the news for week 26 and uh, this week we're just going to give you a rundown of the 2019 Oscars nominations and I'm going to kick off with Best Picture. So we've got Black Klansman, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born and Vice. David, what have you got for Best Actor? So our Best Actor nominations are Christian Bale, Vice, Bradley Cooper, A Star Is Born, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen, Green Book. And in the Best Actress category, we have Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Colman for The Favourite, Lady Gaga, A Star Is Born, and Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yes, Craig. And in Best Supporting Actor, we have Mahashala Ali, Green Book, Adam Driver, Black Klansman, Sam Elliott, A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell in Vice. And in the Best Supporting Actress category, we have Amy Adams for Vice, Marina D. Tavira for Roma, Regina King, If Bill Street Could Talk, Emma Stone, The Favourite, and Rachel Wise for The Favourite as well. And for Best Director, we have Alfonso Cuaron, Roma, Yorgos Lanthimos, The Favourite, Spike Lee, Black Klansman, Adam McKay, Vice, and Powell Pawlowski, Cold War. So that is our roundup of the Oscar nominations for 2019. Now, David, you've got a few things that you wanted to touch upon quickly on that. Yeah, very briefly. Um, probably the main story, the biggest uh, surprise is that there is no Best Director nomination for Bradley Cooper, the director of A Star Is Born. It is his first time behind the camera, so I always thought it would be very difficult for him to win Best Director, particularly against Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, who is a ridiculously short-priced favourite with the bookmakers to win Best Director, and I think he will. But for Bradley Cooper not to be nominated, I think that's a real shame. Uh, He was nominated at the Golden Globes. He's also nominated at the BAFTAs. Um, That is unfortunate. And the other big news for Roma fans is that those two actresses um, have been nominated for lead actress and best supporting actress. Uh, And that really bolsters Roma's chances of picking up a Best Picture nomination, which would make it the first ever Netflix film to win Best Picture. Obviously, it's already the first Netflix film to be nominated for Best Picture. 
But yeah, they're the two standout things. Obviously, very upset for Bradley Cooper, but he still does have a Best Actor nomination, which in essence will increase his chances in that category, although that looks like it's going to go to Christian Bale. And as you can hear, David is very enthusiastic about these awards, so we've decided to produce a bonus episode where we will look in great detail at all of the award ceremonies that is happening and has happened, and that includes obviously the Oscars, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, Critics' Choice Awards, uh, Producers Guild of America Awards, uh, and various others. Any others, David, that you've got? Screen Actors Guild Awards, you missed that one out, the SARG, which A Star Is Born needs to win. Oh my God, he's still going 29th of January, <laughs> come on, A Star is Born. Make sure you listen to the bonus episode. Yes, uh, we'll have that out to you within the next few weeks. Uh, we'll probably let a few more award ceremonies happen uh, and then we can give you a very nice analytical breakdown of all of those awards. And in other news, Prince Philip has crashed his car after taking part in the Bird Box Challenge. And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So it's now time to review Stan and Ollie. So what's this film about? Well, it's about Laurel and Hardy, without doubt the world's most famous comedy duo, apologies to Ant and Deck, who are trying to reignite their Hollywood film careers by carrying out a gruelling live tour in post-war Britain. With theatres half full, tension rising in their friendship and Oliver Hardy's health becoming more of a concern, the comedy duo face some of the toughest but perhaps most rewarding moments of their career. Before we jump into our review, let's take a listen to a clip. I I couldn't sleep for days when they told me what you did. And I couldn't sleep when I did it. But you still did it. You betrayed me. Betrayed our friendship. Friendship? We're friends because Hal Roach put us together. And the only reason we stayed together was because the audience wanted it. I have real friends. And yes, we play golf. And we go to ball games. And we have sauerkraut on our broadwurst. People will remember our movies long after you've finished your hot dog. You know something? You're just a lazy ass who got lucky because you met me. Lucky? To spend my life with a hollow man who hides behind his typewriter? You're not real, Stan. You're hollow. You're empty. I loved us. You loved Laurel and Hardy. But you never loved me. So what? And uh, that's a really great clip of me and David off air. No, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. That is so true. That um, is literally what we're like when we're not recording. But this is a wonderful British-made film about two really great c- comedy characters, um, Stan and Ollie. Um, just... Yeah, a fantastic film. Um, John C. Riley playing Oliver Hardy is just outstanding. Steve Coogan gone from playing all these comedic roles to actually quite a serious role, despite playing a character or playing a, a human being who yeah. is actually a, a, a comedian. Um, and obviously that clip really does show the, the fragility of, of friendship and and of the later years of Stan and Ollie's lives. And I love this film. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Craig. I, you know, I saw the trailer for it. I thought the trailer looked very solid. Um, I, I wasn't convinced that I was necessarily necessarily going to enjoy it, but I went in and I absolutely loved this film. And what the film does really well and what that clip actually shows is 
if you just had John C. Riley and Steve Coogan, you know, mimicking and, you know, almost um, re-performing, which they do do at points in the film, um, Laurel and Hardy, it, it can never be the same. So they do that and they, I think they do that really, really well. But what makes this film unique is the tension in their relationship that we saw from that clip. You know, they're big Hollywood stars, but you can't be at the top forever. And we see their battle and their struggle to try and remain there. The film kicks off with a cracking opening scene. Um, which sets the film up so well. It shows directorial and acting quality very, 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 very early on where we've got this um, sort of one-shot take of them walking through Hollywood, discussing uh, career options, where they go next. And it sets the film up brilliantly. Um, And, you know, this film has a lovely, warm feel to it. It's a passion piece. Um, you know, and what I loved about it most is it, it doesn't raise these two men up like idols, almost like Bohemian Rhapsody did with Freddie Mercury. Bohemian Rhapsody, to me, like here's Freddie Mercury, idolize him, worship him. Whereas what Stan and Ollie did is said, here are the best two. Um, I know you're laughing because I just made that noise again. Um, here are the best two comedians, possibly, or the best two comedy duo the world has ever seen, but they are just human beings, and it shows them at their worst as well, and that's what I liked about it. Yeah, I well, that is a, a really great point, but it's not even the... the, the, the sorry, get my words out here. It, there is the mirror image of Stan and Ollie in this film with their wives as well. So we go into detail with Lucille Hardy and and Ida Laurel um, and these two wonderful actresses uh, really do bring some comic relief in the film where you would expect it coming from from John C. Riley or Steve Coogan. It actually comes from uh, Shirley Henderson and and Nina um, Ariander, both really really great and and they have this mirror reflection at the end of the film as well that mm. reflects what's going on in the relationship with with uh with stan and ollie and i really loved the way that they did they did that and i i, I love the film i love the friendship aspect i love the wives i love the 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 scenery where it's shot um just just fantastic yeah uh as you said i mean the 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 i'm Really delighted you mentioned that the female leads because they bring a dynamic to the film that you don't expect. Because mm. you're thinking Laurel and Hardy, Stan and Ollie, it's going to be all about them. Whereas actually, it's their private lives and their wives are, are really integral to their life because obviously they've got to stick with them as they go on this grueling tour. Career defining performances for me from John C. Riley um, and also um, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan's been nominated for Best Actor at the BAFTAs and this has been. Uh, nominated for Outstanding British Film. Uh, and, a, and an interesting fact, uh, this is John C. Riley's highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes with 93% of critics liking it. And in the same month, uh, Holmes and Watson has come out and that's his lowest rated film with 6% and that is our next review. But I just, I really love this and I I was about to answer the question without you even asking me it. But, um, Why don't you ask me the question? I will ask you the question. Sorry, I'm dominating again, Craig. <laughs> It's it again. Uh, Craig's got me on the dark roast. It's quite late, and I, I'm highly stimulated. You know what? They don't know about the original dark roast incident, though, because we lost it in, in uh, episode 1.0. Should we? Should we briefly explain it? Yeah, go for it. Craig gave me the strongest black coffee I've ever had. I was speaking at a million miles an hour to the point we had to abandon the original recording of week 26. Uh, I then ran home and didn't sleep all night. Um, we then re-recorded again, and it was lost. And now we're back, and the dark roast is taking. A real dark and roasty impact on me. Um, but Craig, 
Uh, Stan and Ollie, is it worth it? Yes, this is a wonderful film that is so worth seeing on the big screen. Despite what you might think that it could be worth watching at home, mm. um, I think it's worth spending your money and, and sitting in a comfortable seat in the cinema um, with your friends and family uh, or whoever you want to take with you. Um, just Just watching... A wonderful film unfolding, and and for all those Laurel and Hardy fans out there, I think every single one of them will say that this has done them credit. Absolutely, couldn't agree with uh, what you said more. So I won't reiterate it. This is a brilliant film, and it's a film that needs to be seen in the cinema. Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, it's that time again where we take a look at cinema at home and are they worth it? So, David, you've got Bird Box to have a look at. Uh, commence with that review. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, last week on the news, I brought the news that Bird Box had become the most downloaded film on Netflix in seven days. Um, it's gone crazy. There's memes, there's Bird Box challenges all over the place. But what is the film actually about? Well, basically, five years after an unseen presence drives most of the planet to suddenly commit suicide, a mother, who is played by Sandra Bullock, uh, tries desperately to get herself and her two children to a place of safety. Let's have a listen to a clip, and then I'll give a very brief review of this film. Look at this. Look at this. Oh my god, Olympia, cover your Isn't eyes. Isn't it beautiful? No! Why are you doing this, Gary? Please don't do this, Gary. Please don't. Look. Gary, please don't do this. Show the baby. Show the baby. No, 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 Olympia. Olympia, cover the baby's eyes. Olympia. See? Show your baby. Olympia, let me see your baby. You're just so bad. Olympia, let me see your baby. Children or I'll take them. Hey! That 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 that, that that that's enough, Greg. Hey! Greg. That's enough. What are you doing here? Okay, uh, let me just cut. Blimey, that that was really quite a disturbing clip. Very long clip, Craig. Um, yeah, there but, wasn't much out there. 
But do you know what? I think that shows what this film is. It, it's really disturbing. So the, the general premise of this sort of unseen, mysterious being, creature, entity, we're not quite sure what it was. If you see it, you either go insane, like the, the gentleman in the clip, um, or, or you kill yourself. Now, that's, that is hard to watch. Um, I'll say that now. It, it's, it's harrowing stuff. It's, it's sh- you know, shudder-inducing stuff. Nobody wants to see that, really, um, on the television. Um, but I think that's the point. It's supposed to impact you. Now, I was hoping that this film would have some sort of deeper meaning, some sort of maybe perhaps commentary on mental health, something like that. Or a very strange twist at the end. And it had neither. No. Um, you know, people have been comparing this to Hereditary, and I can see the comparisons. That has some very disturbing moments. Quiet Place. And also A Quiet Place. Yes. This is not A Quiet Place. It's not in the same league. A Quiet Place was fantastic. This isn't. It's not a disaster. A disaster? <laughs> dear, oh dear. It's not a disaster, but it doesn't quite reach its intriguing potential. It sucks you in and you're really engaged by it, but then it doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, I think Sandra Bullock puts in a typical Sandra Bullock performance, which yes. is just very, very good. But this is a film that's become a meme and... Everyone's doing the bird box challenge, which is completely ridiculous, by the way. Prince Philip, you know, wow, what's he doing? Well, I mean, jokes aside about that, I've seen more articles today about people crashing cards who are genuinely doing the bird box challenge. It's it's bad. Um, So it's become this sort of cool thing that people are involved in. But actually, as a film, it's got potential. It's intriguing. It's unique. Is it worth it? I would suggest, yes, it's worth seeing. But I don't think you're going to see anything sensational. No, I think the the best part of it is John Malkovich, to be honest. Well, John Malkovich is brilliant in everything, and he brings a typical John Malkovich, I don't care, rampaging role. And, um, you know, I part of me wants them to almost make a second. I want an explanation. I want an explanation. But then I've read other reviews that say it doesn't need an explanation, and that's why it's great. Look, it's a solid 60%, which is what I think it got on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah, it's... It's almost all the way there, isn't it? It's just not quite hitting the nail on the head. Um, The performances that that most of the actors put in are okay. Mm. Um, The story is very um, non-linear in the sense of how it flashes backwards and forwards. Um, Very typical of these sort of films. And it just doesn't break any boundaries, uh, you know, in in many senses. Um, The only boundaries that it broke is is apparently the records... Uh, in 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 number of streams via Netflix, but Netflix dish out their own uh, data. They are not, um, you know, directed by any boards or governed by any boards in terms of giving accurate readings. So they could be just saying that to get build the hype up, get more people involved in watching uh, programs on Netflix. One thing I want to yes. say quickly there, just very very briefly, Netflix are obviously going for their first. Um, Oscar. They've been nominated for Roma. It's a, it's a Netflix original film. And I feel that Netflix are doing a lot of publicity stunts. They're really getting their name out there and you're seeing Netflix around more and more and the, and the game is changing. So like I said, I'm not convinced that um, the statistics for this film are as good as people suggest, but it's been effective because it's all people keep talking about. Well, yeah, there's also other news articles about this film in particular in terms of having footage that was on a mm. uh, a stock image website or stock footage website, uh, which they purchased, not realising what 
the actual footage was from, and it was from a Canadian train crash. Mm. Uh, very, a, re- a real, real genuine a real tragedy one. where people died. Yeah. Very disturbing, uh, and they put it into a fictionalised uh, op- uh, program or film, and uh, obviously that's uh, caused some criticism. But then, it, you know, the bad news is good mm. news in this sense because people are going to go and off and find out what that was all mm. about and try and see that footage. I, I assume, um, but yeah, I don't think it's worth it either. I mean, well, you actually, you said it is yeah, so worth the watch, but I'm not so sure it is. Um, I, I think I'd, it's worth checking out just to check it out. Um, and I'll leave it there because it's, it's, it's a difficult one, really. But um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put you off watching it. Yeah. So uh, my uh, film that I've watched this week on uh, Cinema at Home, and this did have a cinematic release, it's Life Itself. Uh, it was directed by Dan Fogelman, written by Dan Fogelman. It stars Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde. Um, and it's basically set uh, in various different um, chapters, uh, just like the other films that we were talking about with The Favourite. Um, but this one does it badly um so (laughs) the film kicks off with um an unreliable narrator in oscar isaacs flashing backwards and forwards um to when he is uh, married to olivia wilde and uh, they're expecting the birth of their first child um and uh yeah it's a it's a strange film um not so good i'm gonna let you listen to a clip um, and then we can talk about it listen to this for 30 seconds and then try and tell me bob Dylan's not a poet okay Let's listen to Hoobastake No, 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 just 30 seconds. To Mars? <laughs> okay, let's just pop that in. 30 seconds. We've been listening to him gargle because for like a month. I know, because I'm in a phase. I can't hear this like Chewbacca noise anymore. <laughs> I just want you to just lean into it with me, okay? Will you please? This is an important album. I mean, this is the comeback album. They thought he was done. Everybody just wrote him off. They said, you don't come back from the crazy he had. And then, boom, 97, time out of mind. He won three Grammys, including Album of the Year. He beat Radiohead and Paul McCartney. It was intense, unexpected genius, just hard and dark. And, and I mean, he said, I'm Bob Dylan. You're not. Eat a dick. He told everybody to eat a dick? Metaphorically, he told everyone to eat a dick. So this film did have a cinematic release, um, but it only was in the cinema for about two or three days. I saw that they had a Q&A session uh, whilst we were seeing an unlimited screening. And uh, yeah, we missed that. So it went straight to uh, Sky TV or Sky Cinema and Now TV. It is funded by Sky. It's also funded by Amazon. Um, why did it go straight to, to, to these uh streaming services well i think it's because it's not a great film it's almost like an experiment dan fogelman has experimented with his uh writing skills and trying to produce something that's very whimsical and uh very lovey-dovey but also tries to show people what the unreliable narrator is all about but that is its downfall because every every twist and turn that we have where we realize this isn't real when it is real, you almost feel less sensitive to it or you're desensitized to, to, the, to the big reveal there. And, and I didn't like that. that. No, that was the first opening chapter to the film. We then moved to a different kind of chapter where it's all set in a completely different country. It's almost like a foreign film. And I, I preferred that part of the film much more. It just sort of seemed to flow much better. It it had much more substance and it just seemed like 
that part of the writing didn't have the unreliable narrator and and I and I much enjoyed it and I would have gladly watched the whole film on that. Mm. Um the film's getting really poor critical response but audiences seem to enjoy the film and I can see why. Uh, from my point of view it's just it's just not great. Uh, it's not great to watch um but if you enjoyed crazy um crazy stupid love um which was written and I think directed by Dan Fogelman as well you probably want to check this out. He also did Tangled, Cars 2, um quite a few other pieces as well which were really really good. Um but yeah for me not great. So yeah thanks very much Craig. Uh, I'm now going to recommend two films on Netflix uh, both directed by the same director which is Alejandro G Inarutu. Uh, firstly, Birdman, or as Craig will insist, I give it its full name, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yes. Um, fantastic <laughs> film. Uh, was nominated for a number of Oscars. Uh, it's got a great cast, including Michael Keaton, uh, Zach Zulfanakis, Edward Norton. Um, and it's a really interesting film. Very bizarre, but certainly worth checking out if you haven't seen it. And Alejandro G. Inarutu is also the director of The Revenant which is available on Netflix. This was a masterpiece, really, in terms of the way it was shot uh, and also the performances in it from Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio picked up Best Actor. Uh, It was his first uh, Academy Award win. He's had several nominations. I don't actually think it's his best performance. I think he's given much better. Um, but I can understand why he won. It was a he really immersed himself in the role, uh, and from a cinematic perspective, the cinematography is wonderful. The acting is brilliant, um, and yet yeah, the same director, two films, both available on Netflix: The Revenant and Birdman. And for me, on Amazon Prime, we have uh, Before Sunrise, which is uh, a really great film starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley. Uh, it's a very romantic film. Uh, two people that meet each other in Vienna from different places uh, and spend literally the whole night together walking around Vienna and just chatting. And it's a real, really great drama in that sense. Um, and it was followed 10 years later by Before Midnight, which is the opposite uh, with the same characters uh, 10 years later. And uh, yeah, really great films to watch. Um, Before Midnight, I don't think is available on streaming services, but if you like Before Sunrise, you will then seek out Before Midnight. Um, the other film that's available on, on Amazon Prime that I want to recommend is Gringo, which we saw in the cinema last year. Mm. Um, I don't think we gave it the best review for the cinema, but I think it's worth checking out now. It's on streaming services. Mm. Um, Definitely. Uh, So what's out on DVD? So the latest releases that's just come out from the cinema now onto DVD, we've got Crazy Rich Asians, which we would Mm. definitely recommend you watch, especially as it's uh, up for a few awards at the award ceremonies as well. Um, Yeah, we really loved that film, didn't we? Yeah, uh, just briefly, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. There was 20, 25 minutes where I thought it went a bit wonky and a bit off-key, and it had some really quite unnecessary scenes, but it's the first all-Asian cast in a Hollywood production, um, and it's nominated, actually, for a Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Cast in a Motion Picture. Uh, And, yeah, it's a very unique comedy and one that I would also recommend. Yeah, uh, other than that, we've got The Children Act and A Simple Favour. Children Act, definitely worth a watch. A Simple Favour, a bit hit and miss, wasn't it? Um, But as they're out on DVD, you might find that you want to pick that up, something to watch uh, on a sort of stay-at-home date night, maybe. Uh, Children Act is a bit more heavier, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Children Act is is one for date night. But it was uh, that was the film actually where everyone sat at the end of the screening and didn't move because they were so yeah. um, awestruck by it. I can't actually remember the two um, lead actors or it was a lead actress and actor um, off the top of my head. 
uh, Stanley Tucci, and uh, it was also uh, Emma Thompson. Yes, yeah. Stanley Tucci was brilliant, and so was Emma Thompson. Very heavy film. Uh, won't go into too much detail, but I also concur with Craig's uh, analysis and uh, recommendation. So, uh, Craig's nodding. That concludes um, Is It Worth It? Cinema at Home. Is it worth it? Cinema at Home. It's now time for our final review of week 26, and it's Holmes and Watson. Now, without overstating the obvious, this is another incarnation of the great detective Sherlock Holmes. And in this depiction, we have Will Ferrell in the role of Holmes and John C. Riley in the role of Watson. And I'll kick off this review by saying it was terrible. <laughs> uh, it, it, the trumpet is needed for this review. David, if you will. Thank you very much. Soak it in. I'm not really sure why we needed this film, but let's take a listen to a clip and we'll have a lovely detailed analysis (laughs) of how bad this film actually was. Watson, perhaps the Queen would enjoy some tea. Oh, yes, of course. Mr Holmes, the Empire is depending on you. Sorry. Your Majesty... Do you think I could have a picture of us together? But who's going to take the photograph? Oh, no, I'll take the photograph. You see, it's a type of a self-photograph. I can take it, and I will be in it also. You know what? I find to take the most attractive photographs, you need to purse your lips together like a duck-billed platypus. Platypus face, chins up. Mm. Hey! Hey! Hey, girl! You know, maybe over by the window, the lighting's much better. Yes, it's careful, I know. So that clip really does uh, show you what this film is kind of about. It's a real goofball of a film and uh, it's really not great. Um, For some unknown reason, they felt that this film had to be made when we had Robert Downey Jr. in uh, a Guy Ritchie version of this uh, in about 2009. And and that was a really great film. I mean, uh, Guy Ritchie utilised the uh, slow motion aspects and these strange animations where he goes and sort of replays the moment in his mind before the actions actually happened mm. and that that worked really well in Guy Ritchie's film but for some reason they 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 did this in this film um and it just didn't work whatsoever uh what did you think in terms of how bad this film was or did you think it was bad uh well yes um <laughs> Good. in terms of how bad it was um historically bad this is a catastrophe this is a disastrous film on so many levels to the point that actually if i was a, a manager of a of a private theater house uh, a, you know a cinema i wouldn't show it it's that bad um if i paid for it i would probably ask for my money back because it really is disastrous craig it's it's not funny um for 80 to 90% of the film it's just poor i mean the script is dire um I mean, it's it's hard to even treat it as a film. I mean, John C. Riley has obviously just been absolutely superb in Stan and Ollie, and Will Ferrell is great in in other films. But both of them here just post in their performances via mail. It's so it's almost like amateur dramatics, the mm. sort of st- and bad am- amateur dramatics at that. I mean, to sum it up, we've got a feral Catwoman, uh, John C. Riley massaging a cadaver to the sound of Unchained Melody. Um, you know, a selection of 
bemusing and unoriginal sketches that you know where they're going to go. And they're so bad, you think, surely they're not going to uh, go with this. The Queen, the Queen of England being thumped and shoved <laughs> into a pirate chest um, to the point where they've actually made a, a rubber model of the Queen. So she's almost bent in half and being thumped into the pirate chest. Hugh Laurie pops up. Uh, Billy Zane gives a bizarre cameo. The Titanic's in it, uh, moored up in London, uh, even though on the back of the Titanic it says Liverpool. But it's also the wrong date. It's the wrong date. It's the wrong era. Um, it, re- it really is disastrous, Craig. You know, the, the infinite monkey theory suggests that if you gave an infinite number of monkeys, an infinite number of typewriters, and an infinite number of time, they would write the full works of Shakespeare. Well, let me tell you, Craig, if you gave nine monkeys, nine hours and nine typewriters they would have wrote a better script than this it really is it really is what an analogy it really is honestly that bad i'm not gonna lie i laughed uh a few times quite heavily because i don't know if i was laughing with it or at it or if i didn't laugh i would probably die it you know, look, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are comedic actors. They do do a few funny bits, but it's it, it's it's woefully bad. It's been nominated for a Razzie. Uh, no surprise there. I, I think... Oh, sorry, I just headbutted the microphone. I think I'm <laughs> going to say that it's worse than uh, Winchester. It's worse than that puppet film we saw with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Oh, God, yeah. Um, it's worse than... Um, Insidious, The Last Key. It's bad, 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 bad. But what are all these actors doing in this film? So, obviously, uh, Ralph Fiennes is here uh, trying to play Moriarty, but is actually playing a version of Moriarty, an evil twin, maybe. Mm. I'm not really too sure. Um, we've got Rebecca Hall playing playing a doctor slash love interest with uh, John C. Riley's character. Uh, we've got Steve Coogan here as well, pops up Hugh Laurie, as you already said, Rob Brydon. I mean, there's a good cast here. Um, but unfortunately, there is just no substance to this script whatsoever. It's not funny. Mm. It's just um, plain ridiculous. Um the scene, opening scene in the UK with uh, Watson standing on top of a roof with uh, Sherlock standing at the bottom of this roof, uh, tending to his garden and, and Watson is wanting to throw himself off uh, to end his life yeah. was not funny whatsoever. No. It was actually really inappropriate, I think. Yeah. And and uh, and and, and uh, I think a lot of people actually decided to walk out after that scene. Mm. Uh, James, uh, I spoke to James after uh, watching the film and he said that I, I went to see it and, and then he he walked out maybe about halfway through. He said it was that bad. And you yeah, know, like, terrible. Like, like you said, it, it kicks off in pretty bad taste. If you've got a black comedy, a dark comedy that gets it right, you know, when it comes to issues like suicide, there can you can have a comedic element mm. to that. But that is such difficult ground to walk on. And they got it so horrifically wrong at the start of this film. And in terms of what you said about the cast, I think this is what the directors try to do is have a a long list of stars and produce a real funny, like, Naked Gun, Monty Python, um, you know, uh, bizarre comedy, um, Spaceballs, you know, um, that, that kind of film. And he just misses the mark totally. Mm. It's got 6% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. And I think that's too generous. This is an absolutely woeful film. Um, And all jokes aside, seriously, folks, do not 
uh, waste your money on this. Um, you know, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are capable of better. They're in better. Do not bother. Craig, is it worth it? No, 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 no. Do not spend any money on this film. Don't even watch it when it comes out on streaming services. Do not buy it on DVD. Do not go and see this in the cinema. It was an absolute waste of time even being made. Uh, yeah, very disappointing. Thank you very much for listening to week 26 version 2.0 of the podcast <laughs> uh, next week on week 27 we have the front runner the upside beautiful boy vice glass mary queen of scots and possibly if bill street could talk i think i might move that to week 28 or week mm. 29 because it's not going to be out for a while but we've seen it early we have yes Yes, Craig, an action-packed show. And I've got to say, a brilliant selection of films uh, next week, which I'm really looking forward to reviewing. Just thought I'd share with you, I know we've talked about uh, Bird Box and the Bird Box Challenge. During recording, I had to pop upstairs and use your facilities. All the lights were off. I could not see a damn thing. And honestly, I was stumbling around up there. It was, it was, it was quite horrific. Um, Do you feel like you've uh, partaken I, in I the feel like I've partaken in it. I didn't see anything and I'm still alive, so I, I'm pleased about that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you made it back to your <laughs> seat to Thank carry you. on with the end of the podcast. Thank you, Craig. Um, we do love hearing from all of our mm. listeners. Uh, we do have various emails that we're going to read out. But before we do that, I want to let you know what our email address is, if you've ca- in case you have forgotten. And our email address is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. There are various different ways where you can contact us personally and for the podcast on social media. David, take it away with your handle. Yes, so my Twitter handle is at 1DavidLong. That's the digit 1, capital D, capital L. Uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are my backdrop and me in a hat is my profile picture. (laughs) So if you do see that, yeah, follow me on Twitter because I'll be tweeting a lot about um, the award ceremonies coming up to uh, the BAFTAs and the Oscars, uh, obviously sharing various articles, other film-related stuff. So if you do want my more personal personal uh, and maybe not so mainstream opinions do follow me on twitter uh, and if you want to contact the show it's quite obvious what the uh, twitter handles and facebook handles and and instagram handles are going to be it's going to be at film is worth it mostly uh, my personal one if you would like to send me a personal message via twitter is at i am craig and it's the same for instagram uh, you don't have to but we loved hearing from mm. you um anything that you have to say on the films that you've recently seen in the cinema may bag yourself two tickets to any cine world in the uk and they have a validated date of six months uh, and you can use it in imax screenings super screens and everything in between there mm. as well um what else david you had a few you ran a competition on your own facebook page didn't you and you uh, you you named the uh, the winner of that you did mention it earlier but what what, what, what who was she who was she? That was Laura Wamsley. I hope I've got the name right, but Laura, you know who you are. Uh, thank you very much for your comments. She spoke about A Star Is Born. She also spoke about Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, we've sent her a couple of free tickets, uh, as Craig has explained. Uh, and yeah, we, we love your interaction. And like I said before, tweet us, email us, send us some uh, sound clips if you want. Uh, record on your phone a brief review of a film. Send it in and we'll happily... Um, as long as it's a good review, (laughs) we'll happily slot it into the show. This is all about building a community of people who love film. 
Yeah, uh, we did get a few emails whilst recording the show. Uh, we have an email from Carol who said that she went to see Colette at the cinema uh, and had a very enjoyable afternoon. Um, and we also had an email from Gordon who also said that he had a really great experience at Cineworld Hemel Hempstead this afternoon. So that's really great to hear. Uh, and uh, obviously Penny uh, emailed us an, earlier in the show about Mary Poppins and she's going to have uh, some lovely tickets going to her as well. Mm. So that's uh, some great interaction this week. Yes, uh, and also, I've just interrupted Craig. He's thinking, what's he going to say now? Um, we were just looking at our analytics of where our podcast is downloaded from. We've got a real good number of people listening over in America now, and we would love to know whereabouts in the States you are. Um, you know, give us a tweet, would love to, or an email, or whatever, or a pigeon, or, I don't know, fly over send and send an us. Send an owl. Send an owl, yeah. Um, or, you know, we, you know, we've got a good number of listeners over in the States, so we'd love to hear your, hear your thoughts. Indeed. So that is it for week 26. As I said, we tune in for week 27 because there's a great list of films on there. And if you have any opinions on those films, which you've already heard what they are, uh, send us an email and uh, you may win yourself some tickets. Have a good week. Craig, it's been a pleasure. Don't lose this version. Oh, God. Nice. Please don't lose it. Let's, let's back it up. Save it again. Digital copy. Maybe print off a hard copy. We could... Um... And it's a vinyl. Vinyl, yeah. Imagine a vinyl version of Is It Worth It? That'd be awesome.